Welcome into episode 111 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast alongside Craig Morgan. Daddy, Eddie. I'm Luke Lipinski, and in case you were wondering, here, here are the sounds of, of beautiful silence where Jamie Eisner normally sits. Silence is golden, isn't it? Jamie Eisner's on vacation again. He does it every day. And uh, he will not... I, I assume he's back next week when we talk to Shane. Don't, He'll show up when we talk to Shane assume. Doan. Don't yeah. assume. Okay, that's, that's true. He's in Southern California. Is he really? Yes. He typically goes to random parts of the country for his vacations. Well, he's got other... We know. Other interests, other interests around interests, the country? Yes. <laughs> okay. So, uh, now that I look at this, Craig, and I'm just realizing this on the fly, Jamie was conveniently busy the day we previewed the Vancouver Canucks. So he left just you and I to do that. Today, we are, we're we're going to preview the Toronto Maple Leafs later on in the show, but we're opening with the Colorado Avalanche, and once again, Jamie's not here. So the two probably worst teams in hockey, certainly last year, Colorado and Vancouver, Jamie managed to uh, work his way out of the conversation. In fact, now that I look at it, kind of a smart move on his part. Yeah, I don't really want to talk about the Colorado Avalanche either, but... Well, I'm not going to do it by myself. And we just talked about Matt Duchesne earlier this week. So, Well, training camp is, uh, is here. Media day is going on, opening up this uh, right now, basically. Any conversation with the Colorado Avalanche has to start with what the deal is with Matt Duchesne. Do they have a plan? What's the deal? <laughs> it's a great Seinfeld bit. What's the deal with Matt Duchesne? What's the deal with the Avalanche? That starts with Duchesne, doesn't it? It goes all kinds of places. They're they're a train wreck. They are the worst team in the National Hockey League. They have very few pieces to build around. They have very little in the system. How did this happen? They're picking low every year. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they they have some front office issues. That's possible. It seems to be what the people (laughs) covering the team in Denver think. Uh, They are one of the few NHL clubs that actually won the draft lottery that aren't named the Edmonton Oilers, and they mm. took Nathan McKinnon, and he won Rookie of the Year, and that was the year that, boy, we were at the NHL Awards, or at least I was. Ryan O'Reilly won the Lady Bing. Patrick Waugh won the Jack Adams. It looked like Colorado had sort of struck gold, basically. Except when you looked at the analytics. Yeah. Said, oh, this, is, this is a huge regression this, waiting to happen. And it regressed in a big way, because what did they finish last year with 48 points? Yeah, that was it. Just a historically bad season. If you want me to put that in perspective for Please you, do even if you don't, I'm still going to do it. The Vancouver Canucks, who are the, the subject of much ridicule and derision around uh, this studio, certainly, and I'm sure in Vancouver as well, they were terrible last year. They finished with 69 points. They were the second worst team. 21 points ahead of the Colorado mm. Avalanche. And where did Colorado pick in the... Trapped this year? Uh, let's see. Let me do Fourth? No. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they the, did. The worst possible spot they could Was have it, Weren't they 40 points behind Philadelphia, who picked ahead of them? So yes. That's a good system. No, the system uh, is really good perfect. System. Philadelphia finished with 88 points. I'm, I'm trying to do the math here on the fly. Vancouver was closer... No pun intended. Oh, look at that, huh? Vancouver was closer to making the playoffs than they were to Colorado in the standings. Oof. And Vancouver didn't have a good year. This is not like a, let's talk about how great Vancouver was podcast. So, I don't know what Colorado is thinking. Uh, If it were me, I'd be building around Nathan McKinnon and I'd be trying to get a pretty nice return for Matt Duchesne, who's Mm -hmm. still only 26. He's put up 70 points in the season before. He's been a 30-goal scorer. It seems like a a new environment would would be a nice boost for him and certainly would help the Avalanche, too. I think it's a must at this point. I think it's a a fait accompli. It's just about when it happens. He wants out. Look, see, Where did that word come from? I just threw it out there because I I wanted you to react to it. Go ahead. It's it's just like an SAT word every every week with Craig. So he needs a change of scenery. They want him to have a change of scenery. They want him out. So I expect that to happen at some point, but I think he needs to start producing. He needs to get back on track a little bit and show that he's a productive NHL player because right now his trade value is so low. But you know what else the Colorado Avalanche could really use? More than three NHL defensemen (laughs) under contract. That might be a good idea. We looked at Vegas a couple weeks ago, and they had 11 NHL defensemen under contract. Really close. Denver, Vegas. Yeah, just like sends four to Colorado. And everybody wins because Vegas can't keep all those defensemen, so they're essentially going to have to put them on waiver soon and just lose them for nothing. And Colorado literally can't fill out an entire roster right now. They have Eric Johnson, Tyson Berry, and Mark Barbario. And that's it. 
You assume eventually that Nikita Zadorov will sign. He's a restricted free agent. I don't assume anything anymore. I don't, I don't know group. how much it'll matter when he does sign, as we, we pointed out recently of, of all the uh, RFAs. We pointed out the lots of good RFAs that hadn't re-signed, and Nikita Zadorov also hadn't re-signed. <laughs> <laughs> but they got, I mean, they got him for Ryan O'Reilly. That was part of that deal. Woo! So you, you got to sign I mean, him now. You got to at least pretend, right? That this was a key piece. Somebody do something in Colorado. This team is maddening right now. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. It's it's sad in a way. And it, I don't know how much of this... I don't know the ins and outs of this organization to know how much of it's Joe Sackick, whether ownership plays a role in this, but it just feels like there are massive structural flaws with this organization right now. Patrick Waugh, if you recall... Basically a year ago, just kind of up and left right before the season started. He did sort of intimate some of those things, didn't he? So as much as everybody liked to mock Patrick Waugh, it's possible he uh, he had an inkling that there were some issues with this team. Let me ask you this. Do you think it's a lock that they're the worst team again this year? Yes. Really? Well, um, it, the worst established club. Can we? Well, I don't. I don't want to count Vegas because you have to start counting Vegas. Feel, all right, I'll count Vegas. It, okay, I'll say it's a toss-up between Colorado and Vegas. We agree it's Vegas is going to finish with more than forty-eight points. If Colorado did this year what they did last year, I think then Vegas is really going to struggle to score goals. Yeah. That's probably true. But that's why they have 11 defensemen that just line up and make a wall. Keep pushing the puck back up. Come on. Try again. Try again. It's going to be like a soccer team and line them all up. In they, front may. Of they may go with Mark an alternate Andre lineup. Three defensemen and two forwards. They mix things up, right? They're going to play a 2-3. That's nothing like welcoming <laughs> hockey to Vegas by playing a very boring style of hockey. We with call extra it the defensemen. smiley face. Two forwards up here. <laughs> all right. Sorry. Uh, I... Building blocks. If you gave me the field, and like if you told me you have no. to take either Colorado or the field for who's going to have the worst record in the NHL, there's so much, so much changes from year to year in the NHL. I don't know that I would take Colorado but as the what, worst. What do they have to build on? I mean, what pieces do they have? Nathan McKinnon, maybe Gabriel Landeskog, who needs what to play better to him? than him. Yeah, like, he needs to play better too. Miko Rantanen, we we like right. Tyson Berry is a pretty good defenseman. Then they have a couple. Tyson Jost, uh, JT Comfort, Neil Yakupov. I don't really, uh, I don't know. I, well, that's that, just a flyer, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe. You, you, that may be over. That experiment may be over. You sign Neil Yakupov, at least my thinking is, if you are a team on the rise that just, you know, wants to wants to see if maybe you can fill out your roster with somebody who has some upside, maybe you can get something out of them, or a team that's a contender that needs just a cheap option to fill out uh, your forward groups, Colorado falls into neither one of those categories, so they went out and added him for some reason. Uh, not exactly the best situation for him to thrive, but you're right. Miko Rantanen I like a lot, and that's probably who you're building around, him and Nathan McKinnon. Right. Any, anybody else, though, I would say, well, you, you probably can't, well, you can't trade Tyson Berry because you don't have enough defensemen as it is. I'll just play with two. Probably wouldn't mind trading Eric Johnson at the contract he's playing on. Just play with no defensemen. Why not? Yeah. Let's just see what happens. What, uh, in your mind, would be a reasonable return for Matt Duchesne? I don't know right now. I, a reasonable return right now coming off the season that he had? I, I don't know how much you can ask, especially when you're, you're talking about attitude issues. And, and look, this has been, I mean, it hasn't been outright ugly in the press, but there's enough undercurrent there that pretty much anybody with, that's been paying attention can read that there's a lot of discontent on both sides. How do you sift through that if you're a GM? Do you want to take that risk? I mean, everybody needs centers, but do you, I guess I guess the, the question is, what do you think Matt Duchesne is? Do you think he's a number one center? I don't think he's a number one center. No. But so what is he, a number two center? I think he could be a, a very – I think he's still – I mean, at, at age 26, and you're looking through some of the, the years of his career, uh, he's hit 67 points his second year. But he hit 70 points in 2013-14, the year before he hit 43 points, but that was a 48-game season. So he is somebody that is absolutely offensively gifted just two years ago, 30 goals. And when he gets on the international stage, he performs pretty well there as well. So I I do think there are are situations out there that would be really good for him to step in, and I think that he could be a 30-goal scorer again. I don't think that's inconceivable at all. And if you're a team that can rip Colorado off and get a 30-goal scoring player in his, you know, mid to late 20s that plays center, I do think somebody's going to benefit from the situation in Colorado. Now, if he ends up on Vancouver or something, then he's just in a similar situation. But if he, I don't know what that team would be. I mean, let me ask you this. It could never happen because Chicago doesn't have the money 
But if you could just add Matthew Shane to Chicago, would you would you do that? If you could just add him, yeah, I mean, without, what would you have to give up? Is the I, well, you have I mean, to make a realistic trade, but but not in a situation where take salary cap out of it. You're somebody that follows the Blackhawks pretty closely. That's a very established team. It's a very established locker room. If he has an attitude problem, then he'll just get run out of Chicago. I mean, that that's that's the sort of club that you go to, and if you do have attitude issues, you better straighten up. So is he is he replacing Arvanisimov then? Is that is that what you're thinking? Do you do you make a trade like that? Yeah, I guess. Again, this is not going to happen. I'm just trying to establish what we think he has left. Because Colorado, to me, Chicago, not Colorado, Chicago would be a, a really good situation for somebody like that to, to land in because of the guys around him. Yeah, maybe. maybe. And, and they've wanted to move Artem Anisimov out, to be honest. But that's you're talking about more money. Like we had Josh Yoey on. being paid more money than... Yeah. But so, we're, you're not supposed to talk about money, though. Okay, right so we, there. Can't, we can't factor in this hypothetical situation. Okay, okay. This should be perfect for you. As somebody that follows the Blackhawks, you should love that you don't have to consider money for a second. Okay. We had Josh Yoey on talking. Also, bring back uh, Artemi Panarin then. And no, no. See, now you've taken so, it. Well, you're taking too far. me down this road. I'm, I'm going to keep going with it. Dustin Bufflin. Dustin Bufflin's back in Chicago. Tifa Teravainen. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to keep going? There's you just too many of them. Feel the second team. Yeah. Uh, I don't even remember what I was going to say. Pittsburgh, when we talked to Josh Yoey, he said he's absolutely not an option for the third center. Uh, he's not an option in Arizona either. I know that. Okay. So, I mean, we're running out of options at, at different points around the league already. And <laughs> That's just two. Well, he's not an option for Chicago either because now we're back to reality and they don't have any money. And Detroit doesn't have any money either, so we can go ahead and rule them out too because they're up against the cap. But Would you bring him in in Toronto? That's interesting. Nashville's interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Nashville's a team that could use a little more help up the middle. Nashville's where I think he's going to end up, to be honest, because David Poyle just makes trades happen. So, And that probably will be a steal, too. Yeah, he usually fleeces teams. Maybe he can trade them Martin Erat. He's a very good general manager. So uh, that's... That's that with Colorado. Anything else that you uh, you see around this team? Would we Are we well, confident at all in goal? Well, that's the thing. Then that was the the one other point that I wanted to look at here. When you when you look at this team, you have to think that the future is down the road. <laughs> it's clearly not, it's not here. Now. It's not now. Maybe it's in Nathan the past. McKinn's twenty two years old. Uh, Miko Rantanen's twenty years old. And, and if we're talking about those being the pieces that you build around. Do you think about trading Semyon Varlamov at, at the trade deadline? He is, he'll have one year left on his contract. So it's, in some ways, it's an attractive deal to a team that might want a goalie because he's not just a rental. They'll have him for another year. Yeah. Do you think Dude, about moving yeah, him absolutely. because his play, he, he, he's going to be 30 years old? So you're, when he hits his UFA year in 2019, are you really thinking about re-signing him to a long-term deal, which is probably what he's going to be looking for? I don't even think this is a debate, to be honest. Yeah. I mean— you go down this path with these teams that are struggling, and you get the people that say, all right, just uh, you know, start tanking and, and get a top pick. Well, we saw last year they weren't tanking. They were just terrible, and they still didn't get the top pick. So I hate that theory. Or even one of the top three. But. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's not like this upcoming draft class has Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid in it. So my version of rebuilding a team is anybody you're not keeping past the next year, get rid of them and get pieces back. Don't just get rid of them for the sake of getting rid of them. Don't trade Semyon Varlamov for a fifth-round pick. But get something back of value if you can, even if it's just a pair of prospects or a third-rounder and a prospect. If you can do that, absolutely do it because that's what you need because you're right. You look at this team's prospect pool, and they've got a couple good guys, but they're not deep. And they Mm -hmm. really, usually if you're this bad, you at least can point to your your collection of talent that's on the way into the league, and they really can't do that. Right. And I'd make that same evaluation on Landeskog probably this year. If he doesn't have a significant bounce back, he's only 24 years old, so... You're looking at that piece and you're saying, wait a minute, there's still a lot of upside with him. But if he doesn't bounce back, he only had 33 points last year. If he doesn't bounce back to more of what we've seen from him in the 50, 60 point range, you might think about trading him too. It's it's crazy. It almost feels like he's not in the league right now. I mean, it's just weird where this, this team has gone. Even McKinnon only had 16 goals. So supremely talented offensive players, but so little around them. Landeskog started his uh, his career in the 2011-12 season with 22 goals and 52 points. And then, you know what, within a year or two, he was named the captain of the team. And he was one of the youngest captains in NHL history. And he had a 65-point season, a couple 50-plus point seasons. And then last year, he missed some games. But it's not like he missed half the year and finished with 
15 assists. He missed 10 games. He played 72 games last year and had 15 assists. Yeah, that's insane. And I know plus minus isn't everybody's favorite stat, but when it's minus 25, it's at least worth noting, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's also remarkable that this team has put nothing around yeah. Guys like McKinnon and Duchesne. That's, that's, I guess I think that's the part that surprises me the most. When you had those pieces, when they were coming off that season we talked about, which was still, you know, it, it was problematic because they weren't a good possession team. But when you're coming off that season, don't you look at okay, what's missing? How do we take the next step? Especially because they bowed out in the first round of the playoffs that year. How do you take the next step here? They did bow in the first round that year, didn't they? Yeah, I think they lost. Yes, they to Dallas. They have. Uh, did they or did they get to the second round? I'm trying to remember now. Um, they, you talk. Okay, I'll do I'll that. look up. They've last season on a team that has been drafting offensive pieces for a couple of years now. They had four players with more than fifteen goals. Four. <laughs> they had six with ten or more goals. One of them had exactly ten. Mikhail Grigorenko. One of them was Rene Bork, who had twelve. <laughs> and they had one player Both break the him. twenty goal barrier. Sorry, it was Minnesota. They lost to in 2013-14 yeah, in seven games. That was a fun series, wasn't it was that? A fun the uh, Mikhail Granlund really nice goal in game seven. And uh, those two teams have gone in opposite directions. But they won the Central Division that year. 112 points. How did they, they hit 112 points? Yeah, that's more than just defying the laws of analytics. There's, there's something else at play there. They had less than half that last year. <laughs> they almost had a third of it last year. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, all right, anything else before we start talking about a good team? I think I'm good. All right, we're going we're gonna to move ahead right now then and preview. Earlier this week, we talked about the Edmonton Oilers. Now we're going to preview Canada's other top team right now, right? That's fair. I think both those teams are ahead of Montreal at this exact I moment. I do, too. And on the rise. So we're going to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs with Mike Zeisberger of the Toronto Sun. All right, we continue our summer preview series now. We talked about the Edmonton Oilers earlier this week. The other half of Canada's sort of dynamic duo now, the Toronto Maple Leafs, were joined by Mike Zeisberger of the Toronto Sun and the national hockey columnist of Post Media. You can find him on Twitter, at Z-E-I-S-B-E-R-G-E-R. Mike, thanks for the time. Obviously, it's it's an exciting time to cover the Maple Leafs. How much of, of last season was a surprise, and, and what sort of bar does that set for this team to clear now? Well, first of all, guys, thanks very much for having me on. And, I mean, I almost had to do a double take with your intro because it wasn't that long ago. Um, you know, if you would have mentioned that, that the Oilers and the Maple Leafs were the two teams that were going to cause ripples from north of the border, or even in the National Hockey League per se, um, people would look at you very quizzically because, <laughs> I mean, the Oilers hadn't been to the playoffs before this, uh, this past year since, since they went to the final in uh, 2006. And the Leafs had only been there once until this past spring. So that goes to show you uh, what dry spells there were. But you know what? I, th- I see there being parallels between the- both teams, and that's the young talent base. I mean, we know about dry- Seidel and McDavid in-, in Edmonton, obviously. But, yeah, uh, Toronto, you know, you knew when they had won the lottery and they had finished last and Austin Matthews was... was coming in that, uh, you know, um, the tide might have been turning. But nobody could have predicted, the, uh, you know, the way that, you know, Matthews uh, won the Calder, but just the pizzazz which, which he did it with. Um, I mean, you, here's a kid from Arizona who learned to play hockey in Arizona. He didn't play college. He didn't play junior. He played in Switzerland. And then in the first game in the Battle of Ontario against the Ottawa Senators, his first National Hockey League game, he scores four goals. I mean, uh, that's you'd be hard-pressed to find a better debut than that. And then the way that William Nylander developed, the way that Mitch Marner, um, as small as he is, I mean, a year ago there were questions as to um, whether, whether the Leafs would keep him or return him to junior. And now he's... he's uh, He's a staple on the team. So, you know, it, it was surprising how quickly they developed, but this is, hey, guys, this is, as, as I mentioned, with McDavid and Dreisaitl, uh, this, this league is becoming a younger and younger man's game. Um, you know, I don't think there's as much patience anymore to wait till a kid is 21, 22 years old uh, to have them develop. 
And so when you see the, the young core of teenagers or 20-somethings that the Maple Leafs have, uh, you know, they've gone all of a sudden from, uh, you know, well, maybe they'll make the playoffs, but at least they won't be finishing last, to, uh, you know, today today being uh, Monday, Monday, September 11th, uh, as of today, Bodog.ca came out with uh, some new Stanley Cup odds, and the Maple Leafs had the fourth best odds. They're tied with like Tampa Bay and, and a bunch of other teams at fourteen to one. I mean, twelve months ago, we would have thought we would have just shaken our heads and said, "There's no way." Um, but that's just a reflection of how quickly these kids have developed. And of course, uh, when we're talking about setting bars, uh, I'm sure the uh, Toronto fan base is being very realistic about this and very patient and just just letting this team grow on its own, right? Because there aren't very big expectations up in Toronto for this hockey team. I'm sorry, I was a little distracted. They're they've got they're putting the uh I have got the T V on in front of me and they're putting the parade route on it. So um but no, you know what? I, I think that here here's the funny thing. It used to be like that, but you know what? I mean We've now gone 50 years in this city without a Stanley Cup, half a century, okay? The Stanley Cup has been to places like uh, Tampa Bay and Carolina, those hockey hotbeds of, uh, of, of history, um, you know? Uh, and it hasn't been to, to, to Toronto, um, the home of the Hockey Hall of Fame, in 50 years, in five decades, half a century, any way you want to... You you want to slice it or dice it? So, I think fans going in last year because they've been they were tired of all the crap that they they have been watching at the start of the season last year when the Maple Leafs were losing a lot of tight games and 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 blowing leads. What you heard from the fan base was, yeah, you know what? We don't have many expectations of these teams. All we want to do is see these kids develop. And hey, you know what? They're actually fun to watch. They may make mistakes, but they're fun to watch. They look like they're trying, and we can see the talent. And therefore, I don't think there were a lot of expectations at the start. And it wasn't until January or February where the fan base started going, hey, you know what? These guys may actually make the playoffs. So it's funny because it took so long for for Leafs Nation to learn what patience is and, and – you know, I joked about the parade route, but, you know, wasn't that long ago when Tim Lewicki took over as uh, president and obviously of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. He's, he's since got long gone. But I remember when he came in, he says, oh, I've already got the parade route uh, mapped out. That's the last thing you should be telling this fan base, okay? <laughs> that, that, that just gets their expectations so high. But it took them so long to finally get grounded and say, okay, we'll be patient. And then the first year that they are, this team exceeds expectations. So, um, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. I don't really have a pulse on it. I mean, I think that everybody expects and thinks that they are going to get to the playoffs, and, and as well they should. But at the same time, um, as far as, you know, all of this stuff now, like talking about them being a Stanley Cup contender, uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm not quite sure if everybody's buying into that yet, but we'll see uh, as the exhibition season goes on. Uh, it, won't, it won't take long to get kind of a vibe or a pulse of what the fan base thinks this team can do. All right, Mike, what is, what's required for this team to take that next step? Is it just maturation or their... Or is there more? Are there missing pieces or other things that they need to do as an organization? Yeah, uh, you know, a couple of things. Number, there's, there's three things in my mind. Number one, uh, a lot of guys had career years last year, including Matt. Well, I don't know if you can call, you can't really say a rookie had a career year, but those, you know, Nylander and, and Marner and, and Matthews had just such wonderful seasons. You wonder if there is a sophomore jinx. And I'm not saying for all of them. But can you, you know, is it realistic to think that one of them won't, at least one of them won't encounter a little bit of difficulty? Number two, uh, they had they had virtually no injuries to their key players last year. Okay, and we all know 
that's not going to keep going. I mean, last year my pick for this to win the Stanley Cup uh, at this time um, prior to the season uh, was Tampa Bay. Okay, Tampa Bay lost three centers in one game. Okay, the Maple Leafs I don't think lost three centers all year. So that's where you have to you look at what happened last year, but then you say, okay, you know, reality is that. They are going to have more injuries this year. And number three, I think there's still question marks on the defense. I mean, Jake Gardner took a huge step. Uh, Morgan Riley kind of flattened out a bit, but he's still young. He has a world of talent. Uh, Zaitsev, they signed to a big uh, contract, a kid that they brought over from the KHL. Um, You know, they brought in Ron Hainsey, but they don't have that real on the blue line and yeah I know like people say oh Pittsburgh won the cup um, without uh, a stud on the blue line but you know what to win a Stanley Cup if you go back okay uh, the last team uh, before this Pittsburgh team that won a cup without a stud number one defenseman uh, was the 2006 Carolina Hurricanes who ironically their general manager was Jim Rutherford like he was for the Penguins but guys, if you go after every uh, after every Stanley Cup winning team from that point, um, 07, Ducks, Pronger and Niedemeyer. Uh, 08 was Lidstrom with Detroit. 09, the Penguins had Gonchar, who had over 100 points that year, and a young uh, Chris Letang. 2010, Hawks, Duncan Keith. 11, Bruins, Zdeno Chara. Uh, 12, Drew Doughty Kings. 13, you got the Hawks with uh, Keith again. Uh, 14, Doughty uh, once again, Kings. 15, Keith. 16, Latang. So, you know, uh, I don't mean to be long-winded on that, but that to me shows you the importance of having that one stud defenseman, and that is something that the Leafs are uh, severely lacking. So, there's a lot of talk that maybe uh, James Van Riemsdyk, uh, whose contract is up at the end of this season, might be dangled out there to try to get defensive help. Uh, I don't know because everybody seems to be looking for a number one defenseman. But I think, uh, you know, you couple that, uh, the questions uh, with the defense, um, questions about if their rookies can take that next step in the second year, and uh, also whether, uh, you know, the injury bug is finally going to catch up to them. If you combine those three things, I would say if there's areas of concern, those would be the three main ones. Mike, if you look at what Austin Matthews did as a rookie, and then you look at the contracts, guys like Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl got this summer, and, and maybe Jack Eichel could be getting one soon, what, uh, what do you see Matthews' first real NHL deal looking like, and, and could it get done as soon as next summer? You know what? If if he if they sh- if he shows the maturity, and number one, guys, that's that's the incredible thing for me. I mean, I'll be honest. When when they drafted this kid, it was like okay, like I said, kid from Arizona, played in Switzerland. He has no idea what it's like in the fishbowl of this market. They're going to chew him up and spit him out. But he has shown the type of maturity to tune out all the white noise and uh, not let all, all that other stuff bother him. Um, that to me is huge. That shows me that he can cope with this market. So that combined with uh, if he can on the ice continue to develop and show the ridiculous skills that he already has, I think, yeah, the least would be stupid not to try to get him under contract next summer and, you know, I'm not sure, sure he's going to get uh, McDavid-type money, but when you look at what Dreisaitl got, I think a long-term deal around 10 a year um, is, is realistic, and I think they should get that done. Here's the problem, guys. We talk about the foundation of the Leafs, and this is what, this is what the salary cap era has brought in, okay? Now you're seeing, instead of guys that are 25 and 26 get the big deals, Teams are now giving the 
20, 21, 22-year-old kids the big deals, not waiting for the bridge contracts, at least the kids they think that are going to be superstars or are already on the verge of that. So because of Nylander, Marner, and, and um, Matthews all kind of coming together at the same time and coming up at the same time, you know, are you going to be able to keep all three of those guys? And that's, you know, there's already a lot of debate now that they won't be able to. So who's going to be the odd man out? I do know one part of that answer. The odd man out will not be Austin Matthews um, because he's already being portrayed as the face of the franchise. And as such, uh, I would not be surprised and, and would suggest it would be uh, advantageous to the Leafs to get him signed next summer. Mike, what does he need to do to, uh, other than consistency, just producing like he did last season, what does he need to do? What does he need to add to his game? Where does he need to go from here? You know what? I can't pinpoint anything. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm give you a beige answer, like I'm sitting on the fence, but we saw improvement in every aspect of the game. And even when he went a few games without getting a point last year, the improvements that you saw defensively um, on a game-to-game basis, uh, you just saw him develop. Even face-offs, he was getting better. Um, so I don't think there's any one thing. Um, it's interesting. I was at the uh, Players Media Tour, the NHL Players Media Tour in New York last week, and I kind of canvassed 30 of the top uh, players in the league, uh, Connor McDavid, Patrick Kane, and that, and said, what makes this kid so special, and what's his ceiling? Um, the consensus out of the 30 guys is that there is no ceiling for this kid, and if there is, uh, it's ridiculously high. They talk about his size, his strength, but most uh, most most of them said, and his, his shot as well, he's got a special shot, there's no doubt about that. But the other thing was, they said, is he has a knack to be around the net where the puck ends up, and it's a natural goal scorer's thing. And when you have a, a, a Patrick Kane... When you have a Tarasenko, guys that have that intangible, saying that this kid has it, and let's face it, that's not something you can teach. I'll go back to to, to my days, and, 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 you know, uh, I'm aging myself now, but when I was a kid and I watched the Islanders, the Mike Bossy, he didn't have the best shot, and he wasn't the fastest player, but he always was where the puck was around the net. I think that's that's an intangible that you can't teach, and that's something that Austin Matthews has. So, uh, you know what? I mean, don't take my word for it. I mean, when, when guys like Patrick Kane and Connor McDavid are saying that uh, his ceiling is pretty well limitless in terms of Austin Matthews, um, you know, instead of forming my own opinion, I form my opinion because of what those guys say, because they would know. Uh, Mike, Patrick Marlowe, the addition in the offseason, three years, over $6 million a year. Now, look, 52 goals over the last two years, hasn't missed a game since 2009, but getting up there in years in, in terms of, of his NHL career, what was the rationale behind bringing him in at that price? That's interesting to say. I, the one issue that I had with it is that it's for three years. If it was two, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of zip this year. Um, we'll see about next year. I, it, it's hard to think that when you're 40, 41, you still have that much uh, gas in your tank. But um, the, the ra- rationale is twofold. Number one, they think that this guy's got lots and lots of, of, of speed left. And um, that was one thing that Mike Babcock uh, talked about. Mike Babcock has had and coached uh, Patrick Marlowe for the last two Olympics. And he's a huge Patrick Marlowe fan. Babcock's rationalization is that you can't teach speed. And that is one thing that, that, uh, that Patrick Marlowe oozes. And so what they're thinking is, well, you know what? I mean, we have all these kids, but we need a finisher, um, somebody that's, you know, and a leader. Patrick Marlowe is not a rah-rah guy, okay? But... He's a quiet guy, kind of in the same way that Austin Matthews is, um, but he leads by example. 
Uh, I think that they think that on the power play, he can add a lot. Um, if you look at the players that I mentioned, the Matthews and the Van Riemsdyks and the Bozaks and um, the Marners and the Nylanders, Patrick Marlowe doesn't have to be one of your two or three core players. What he is is a key guy in your top six. So I think there's a lot of factors there and familiarity, obviously, like I said, with Babcock. So um, I just think they brought him in. They don't want to just bring in a guy like, a, you know, oh, a character guy for a young team. They did that with Dominic Moore. What they wanted to do is bring in a guy who the kids could, could, could learn uh, from by example, but also who can keep up with them and who can contribute. So that's the logic. Um, you know, I know they were interested in Joe Thornton as well, but knowing Joe, uh, I think he likes the uh, laid-back lifestyle in uh, in, in California. Uh, so we'll we'll see how it works out. There were a lot of questions as as to whether Patrick Marlowe, why would he come in the fishbowl? He seems kind of like, you know, he seems a little laid-back in that. But it's interesting, you know, this is a guy that's played in San Jose his entire career, but he's won two Olympic gold medals for Canada. He's a Canadian kid, and he's, he's moved all his whole family up here. I think he has four boys, so uh, that's going to be fun. He's gonna, I'll tell you what, those boys are going to be popular in school, okay? Because <laughs> when you're in San Jose and you say your dad plays for the Toronto Maple Leaf, or uh, for the San Jose Sharks, you know, uh, you may be... You know, uh, people may be impressed. If you're in Toronto and you say your dad plays for the Toronto Maple Leafs, you go to the head of the class, man, like immediately. So um, some of the people around him say he's stoked. I mean, a kid from the Prairies looking forward to play on Hockey Night in Canada every Saturday night. And somebody with the Sharks organization said, you know what, go look at his output against the Canadian teams over the years. And he his his point totals spike a little bit as opposed to the rest of the league when he's played against Canadian teams. So we'll see how it works out. I think there's risk here because he's at the age where, you know, when guys fall off, they fall off pretty quickly. Um, so there's a gamble here. Uh, the one thing that I do think it says is that the Maple Leafs want to win now. They're the... the you know, you don't sign Patrick Marlowe, like 38-year-old guy, to a three-year uh, deal for $6 million a year if you're on a rebuilding plan. That, to me, shows that they're going for it right now. All right, you talked a little bit about uh, the upcoming summer, the future contracts of that young core, guys like Austin Matthews, Nylander, Mitch Marner. Uh, but there are a lot of other guys. It's going to be an interesting summer for me, uh, from my standpoint, looking at this team because you got a lot of UFAs. Coming up, uh, you mentioned what happen, might happen with JVR, but a number of other guys, Joffrey Lupel, Tyler Bozak, Leo Kamarov, not to mention guys like Fair and Moore and Ben Smith. What happens next summer? How does this all shake out? Well, I think a lot of the guys that you talked to, well, Lupel, Lupel they've, he's playing cards with Jimmy Hoffa somewhere. I mean, however they've got him off the books is, is or, you know, just kind of... Put right. him out of sight, out of mind. I don't know, but not they'll IR. be very happy to get him off the off the books. I mean, uh, he's not part of their plans. Um, you know, JVR. I think they're going to try to move for a trade. A lot of those guys you talk about are excess parts. So I think that what you will see is a lot of movement in the forwards. Uh, Leo Komarov. I think he will stay. They'll find a way to make him stay. Uh, I think he wants to stay. I don't think it's going to be a big-ticket guy. Um, he likes his role with the team. Um, they just signed a couple of their other young guys, uh, Connor Brown, uh, who maybe had the quietest 20-goal uh, season of any rookie in the National Hockey League last year, uh, Zach Hyman. So I think that's going to be the nucleus, and a lot of the guys on the outside um, they're going to go to create cap room, kind of, kind of the way that the Oilers have done for Drysidle, so they could fit McDavid and Drysidle. Uh, we saw that Taylor Hall was traded. We saw that Jordan Everly was traded after him. My biggest question, and it has nothing to do with those outside guys. I mean, they'll they'll find the supporting cast, but 
can they sign all three of those guys, or do you just sign two and, you know, uh, let one of them go? Um, you know, there were question marks as to, uh, at one point, whether they were going to trade uh, Nylander for Shattenkirk uh, down the stretch last year, which I thought was silly because uh, Shattenkirk's, uh, you know, he's a re- he was a rental player at the time. Um, but, you know, you talk to people and they think that Nylander, if, if, if any of the two of the three is not signed to an extension, it would be, it would be Nylander, in which case, knowing Lou Lamorello, he would try to trade him to get something. But uh, to me, that's the most fascinating. Can they keep those three kids or does one of them have to go? Mike, last question for you, and it's a player we haven't even really mentioned in this conversation, but he was key last year. What happened to Nazem Kadri where he turned, he just seemed to turn his career around, and, and now he's a completely well rounded player, it seems like? Nazem Kadri didn't, I think he had a life change, and it's not just on the ice, but I think it's off the ice because there's an entirely different attitude. Um, two years ago, before Mike Babcock took over, uh, Nazem Kadri uh, missed a team meeting and was suspended for a game. And a day later, Brendan Shanahan held a press conference. And, and keep this in mind, in Brendan Shanahan's first year, uh, two years ago when the, Le- you know, when the Leafs ended up finishing last in the National Hockey League, Brett, that was Brendan's first year as president. And he just kind of sat back and watched how things went. He didn't talk a lot. Um, but for him to hold a press conference and say, you know what, um, we're adding two more games onto uh, the team-inflicted suspension for Nazem Kadri. you just thought, boy, this kid must, I, I'm not sure what's going on behind the scenes, but they, they're having issues with him. And then when they hired Mike Babcock and Lou Lamorello, let's face it, I mean, can you think of two more guys in hockey that are less likely to put up with any kind of BS than Lou Lamorello and Mike Babcock. So we all thought that that's it. Nazem Kadri gone. You know, uh, grab your bags, share a cab with Phil Kessel to the airport, and you guys are out of town. <laughs> and a hot dog. Instead of that, yeah, I knew you were going to try to get that in. <laughs> but thanks uh, for the opening. <laughs> you know, you know, he. I guess Mike Babcock had a talk with him and said, you know. You've always been one tough SOB to play against, to, to coach against. You could be such a valuable player to us if you want, but you have to change. You have to want that. And if you want to become the player and the person I think that you can become, you have to make changes on and off the ice. And you know what? Nazem Kadri, the last two seasons, he's bought in into it. And not a, you know, he plays against the other team's top lines top players he relishes that plus he's an offensive force and you know what i just think that you know he he had to make a a serious life decision of which direction he wanted to go in and fortunately for the maple Leafs, he heeded what uh, mike babcock and lou lamorello uh wanted him to do uh he's you know a lot of us raised our eyebrows when uh when he was signed to an extension uh, for less than $5 million a year, at the time it was like, what, are they nuts? They're, they're, they're overpaying them. And now you look at his contract and go, wow, that's a value contract. So that's another guy, as to your earlier question about talking about the peripheral guys, that's another core guy that's going to be there when guys like, you know, you got to figure like the JVRs and the Bozaks and the like, likes and guys like that have already been gone. But, uh, no, Nazem Kadri has been a pleasant surprise for the Toronto Maple Leafs, for sure. Mike Zeisberger, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for the time, and enjoy what should be a pretty exciting season in Toronto. Well, thank, thank you very much, and I uh, really appreciate you guys having me on. Right, Mike, thanks again. Thanks a lot. Uh, that, was, uh, yeah. that was some solid insight on a team that's much like Edmonton earlier this week, and, and he brought it up. I mean, they are now being viewed as a legitimate Stanley Cup contender, which is sort of crazy in the sense that they were picking first overall, what, 14 months ago, 15 months ago. But you look at that team, and it's a very young league right now. 
and that core is is pretty enviable. Look, I don't know if Toronto's going to be able to swing any kind of deal for a number one defenseman. I don't think James Van Riesdyk is the guy that brings that in return. Now, if you if you're thinking that you're not going to re-sign Nylander, maybe you maybe you can package two very valuable players and try and get that in return. That does seem to be the only piece missing here. But Nylander and Van Riemsdyk would get you a, a, a really if good anybody's player. willing to trade a number one defenseman anymore, that would do it. That would probably do it. Yeah. But but again, you and I mentioned this. We talked about this a long time ago when when the Coyotes did not win the draft lottery and Toronto won the right to draft and, and they earned it at least. They at least they you know they they were in the right position. Yeah. Unlike the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. Um, the, Austin the Edmonton Matthews, one still bothers me more. Go yeah, ahead. It, it bothers me I, for a lot of reasons. But I know it's, the I know I the think Matthews one. That's on the one. league as much as anything. You the, know? The, the Matthews one I know bothers everybody here because he's sure. local. But the Oilers one bothers me so much more because the Coyotes were the worst. Yeah. They deserved one of those players. Well, and, and, and Edmonton didn't. No, Edmonton didn't. had been there so many times. And, and really, you I I do still think that you should have some provision where you can't pick number one more than X number of times in a ten year period. And they're talking about it at least in the NBA. Yeah. So it's, it it should be there. But anyway. At the time, when Austin Matthews went to Toronto, you and I agreed, and I know people hated the idea here, Austin Matthews in Toronto is so good for hockey. First of all, it it shines probably the biggest spotlight on Arizona hockey that you could possibly have yeah. because suddenly the the hockey mecca of, sorry, Montreal, but the hockey mecca of Canada is looking at Austin Matthews with, with a very high-powered lens. But beyond that, the Toronto Maple Leafs being good is good for hockey as well. And, and as Mike just said, it's been 50 years since this franchise won a cup, which is just insane, and it feels wrong. This is a, a storied franchise. I enjoy watching this team play. I want to see this team competing for cups. And again, I think it's really good for the NHL to have the Toronto Maple Leafs relevant again. Yeah, I don't care about the second part nearly as much as the first part. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, it is it is. I'm sure it's good for the league to have Toronto in the in the playoffs and pushing Washington in the first round and all the history that's there and, and both of success many, many, many years ago and also all the suffering that fan base has gone through in the last five decades. I get that. But to the, the, the first half of your point, it probably was the second best outcome, at least around here. It's 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 just not fair that the Coyotes didn't come out of those two years with Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid or, or Jack Eichel. It's ridiculous. Yep. But if he's not going to be here, having him in Toronto, where they don't seem to shy away from the fact that he is from Arizona. I do wonder if there's other markets where they would have just kind of brushed that aside. It seems like in Toronto, they are willing to embrace the fact that, hey, he's our best player. He's going to save our team. But he is from the desert. Like, it's a cool story. There are mm-hmm. other markets where I wonder if they would just sort of downplay that and, and try and pretend like it didn't happen. That hasn't been the case in Toronto. And look, I mean, he's still, he's been here most of the summer in Arizona working out at the, the rinks around here, which right. is so different from everybody, really everybody just in the world who goes to Phoenix in the summer to work out, but he's been doing it. I am really curious to see what his second NHL season looks like, because if he can elevate beyond what we saw last year, and we've had, you know, we had James Myrtle on talking about how Austin Matthews exceeded expectations, which is so hard to do in Toronto. Yeah. You're, a, you're, the, you're a top draft pick. You're going to play for the Maple Leafs, and you exceed expectations. That's saying something. It says, as Mike mentioned, something about his maturity level. But if he can take it up another notch, man, the, the ceiling for this franchise is really interesting. And as we just talked about with their summer coming up, not this one, but next summer when they have all those peripheral parts coming off the books and this experienced brain trust has a chance to add new pieces to fit around what is just a brilliantly talented core. This is a really interesting franchise. This could become the marquee franchise of the NHL for a long time. Yeah, and I, I do wonder you know, what, what that one series against Washington did for them because mm-hmm. they were right in, in that series against the team that had just put together the best record in the NHL. They were right in it to the very end. And, you know, we talked about Edmonton earlier this week, and we talked about how there are clear obstacles for the Oilers. Yes, they have Connor McDavid, but there's no guarantee they go further this year than they did last year. Toronto only made it to the first round. Edmonton made it to the second round. But I, I feel like Toronto is in a better position going forward. And if, if you pressed me, you know, would you rather have Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews? That's a conversation that's going to rage on now for the next 10 to 15 years, which is great. And I don't know that there's a clear answer. I know 
that if you're from Edmonton or Toronto, you have a clear answer, and that's cool. I mean, that's that's fine. I know Connor McDavid has already been anointed the best player in the NHL, and he's right there. But you can't ignore the fact that Austin Matthews did score 40 goals, which as high as my expectations were for him, I didn't expect 40 goals. I thought if you had asked me a year ago if we would have that conversation now, I would have said I think it's pretty clear McDavid's going to be one and McDavid and Matthews would be you know two or three on that list. But it's one A and one B right now. And I like the fact that he's in Toronto for that reason too, because he's going to get a, a very objective look at how good he is. It's not just going to be about American versus Canadian. It's, yeah. it's he's in Toronto. He's in hockey mecca. So he's their player now, so they're going to look at that very critically. But in terms of what you just said about being set up better than Edmonton, something that Mike just said, Toronto's talking about maybe not being able to keep a piece like uh, Nylander. Edmonton's still looking for pieces like that to fill in around those guys. Toronto has more to work with here. They are in a better situation going forward. And like I said, next summer is going to be fascinating to watch for this franchise. And it does seem like if they could pull off a deal, it just seems like they're one step away from being right there. One defenseman. And, And I know that's a tough... Mm-hmm. That's a tough piece to acquire, but they, they do have assets where maybe they can pull off a trade, whereas Edmonton, I'm not saying Edmonton can't get there, but they just, they're going to have to get creative, and they're probably going to have to hit on somebody they signed for a million dollars stepping in and having a, a great season or whatever, whereas Toronto, it's just, if you could trade for a number one defenseman, you're probably, you're contending at least for the, to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, and also their division isn't terrible at the top with Tampa Bay and Montreal, but it probably is still the easiest division in hockey to navigate through. Yeah. So we saw it last year. Ottawa got to the Eastern Conference Final, and, you know, they, they didn't really have to do a whole lot yeah, to I wouldn't be there. surprised if this team wins the division this year. Yeah. In fact, I, I might expect it, All right. except for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, the Lightning. They pose a problem. They, they should if they can ever stay healthy. All right, that's going to do it for us. We will uh, we'll be back next week. Next week is the, uh, the Shane Doan podcast and the Coyotes podcast, right? Two separate podcasts will be coming out next week. So... That was episode 111 for Craig Morgan, not for Jamie Eisner. I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.